liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host. Today, I am joined by the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute, Mr. Daniel McAdams. It's a long time coming. I've been wanting to have him on for a very long time, and I'm just thrilled we finally get to do it. It's going to be great. Um, Before we get started, let's thank our sponsor, which is Expat Money Summit. They are an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikkel Thorup from expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Especially after this conversation with Mr. McAdams, I think you're going to want to consider expatriation. It's free to attend expatmoneysummit.com or claim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. You'll also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. Register now for free. Just added to the lineup, the great Ron Paul, expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register for free. Cost you nothing. Do not miss it. Multi-day event. Expatmoneysummit.com. And without further ado, the man of the hour, Mr. Daniel McAdams. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Clint. I'm really happy to join you. Absolutely, brother. Um, So I I was watching a clip. uh, You were actually speaking with uh, some Indian uh, talking (laughs) head, and and you were talking about uh, the end of the empire. So I'd like to start there. Uh, I think it's kind of prima facie... uh, obvious (laughs) obvious <laughs> but uh from your vantage point why are you convinced that the empire is in fact ending well the world is changing so quickly and so fundamentally you know and i think it's really only punctuated by the recent uh russian special military action in ukraine um this is a culmination of a set of events that were put into place really at the end of the cold war uh that have been slow motion walking the us toward uh, the end of its unipolar moment. You know, this is the uh, the the end of the um, the U.S. as the single singular you know country in the world. Uh, it's the end of the Wolfowitz doctrine, which says that we will we will not allow any other country to rise anywhere near us. We'll bop them on the head and kick them in the groin. Um, <laughs> that's gone. Um, so we're seeing something that didn't happen just in on February 24th when Russia crossed Ukraine's borders, but something that's been in play for a long time. Uh, and it really is how empires do die. They overextend themselves uh, domestically and internationally. They overextend themselves financially. And they also, they, they also expend their moral authority uh, mm-hmm. to the point where they, where they have none and they become uh, an international hypocrisy, which is what the U.S. has become certainly I would I would say since uh, since nine eleven for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a really brilliant addition to the end of empire stage that I had not considered is losing your moral authority um, because you know if you're going to pretend to be some uh, you know beneficial global hegemon to the poor and downtrodden the those suffering tyranny and yet you uh, you treat your own people as if they're serfs uh, it's it's a tough sell. It is a tough sell. And, you know, I mean, on the topic of Ukraine, we, we've shipped over, what, $50 billion or certainly committed $50 billion where the U.S. Well, we've seen the numbers of CPI that came out uh, today, uh, Tuesday, when we're, we're talking, we've seen the economy trashed. Uh, but, but the loss of moral authority is, is, again, as I say, you become a hypocrisy and it becomes so obvious to everyone. And here's a case in point. Um, uh, Russia, I think uh, Sunday or something, they hit a couple of, uh, of, of power plants in Ukraine and Kharkov, and they took out the power. Uh, and the U.S. response was to say, we are very concerned, disappointed about Russia hitting critical infrastructure in Ukraine. Uh, and this is not to praise them doing it, but good God, are we supposed to have forgotten the very first moments of shock and awe 
when the United States took out the entire electrical grid, took out all the water, all the sewer in Iraq, and caused, and which led to a million people dying, a million civilians dying, because basically they had to drink, you know, water with, you know, feces in it. So it's just a hypocrisy. People do know that we did this. It's not a secret that's contained within these shores, right? People do know that the first thing the U.S. does when it liberates a country is bomb the crap out of it and bomb the crap out of its in infrastructure. So, you know, when you start basically believing your own uh, mythology, when you start getting high on your own supply, as I like to say, that's when you, you, you lose your moral authority. Yeah, well, it's it's quite evident that we've lost it. I mean, the January 6th protesters being in jail for over a year, many of them without trial so far, uh, I think it's it's quite evident that we are in a, in a stage of empire collapse that I really didn't envision coming so precipitously. I didn't think it would it would happen when I was still a relatively young man. Um, do you think that this is an, a, an imminent collapse or do we have 10 or 15, 20 years of, of kind of dragging this thing out where can, can the Fed kick the can? I mean, the, the Dow and uh, NASDAQ, everything else is down about 5% across the board today. Uh, it was also, uh, it's, it's now lower than uh, Biden's first day in office. So it's not as if we're in a horrifically uh, down bear market at this point, but I think it, it has all of the hallmarks of exactly what we saw in 0809, which as you're certainly aware, uh, was a can kicking in its own right. Uh, I, I'm not so sure that we can kick this one just simply because of the inflationary pressures. Yeah, I mean, we're not sure what collapse looks like. I mean, how bad does it get? You know, uh, how how bad do things get? We don't know exactly what it looks like. So we don't know exactly when we're at the beginning, at the middle, at the end. So it's difficult to say, you know, I mean, I mean Dr. Paul always says that, uh, you know, uh, you can't predict exactly on the day that something will collapse, but you can you can look at the trends. And I mean, he talks about our current economic decline is happening well before um, COVID. I mean, the, the Fed was 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 printing money or whatever you want to call it, like it was going out of style. Or if you remember the the uh, the bank overnight rates uh, just before COVID hit, and that was an excuse to print trillions and trillions of dollars and stick those on the balance sheet. So, yeah. you know, you people, have people don't know about that. It was uh, it, I think it was really, November, November 2019. It was when that first happened. Yeah, exactly. And we were watching it thinking this is big. And, you know, I mean, if you were conspiracy minded, which you should never be, you have to wonder about the covid lockdowns uh, and, the you know, the seemingly um, seemingly, uh, uh, you, you know, you know, um, designed destruction of the economy and whether that was to hide something that was already there. Who knows? But the fact is we're getting there. And rather than, you know, trying to dig out of the hole, we're actually digging deeper. I mean, we basically we basically lit an, an H-bomb on the dollar with Russia sanctions. We said, hey, you guys can't use SWIFT anymore. Take that, you scumbags. And they said, okay, well, we'll start our own, you know. And right. uh, and the Saudis said, hey, um, we don't we don't need to trade in dollars. You know, let's trade in rubles. Let's, you know, let's, uh, uh, you know, let's do something different. So basically the nuclear option was the attempt to remove Russia from the world dominated by the dollar. And rather than bring them to their knees, uh, we were just talking about this. I think Dr. Paul talked about it in his column. Gazprom, the Russian state-controlled gas company, uh, has doubled its profits in the first six months of this year, 100% increase in its profits. So rather than the ruble becoming rubble, as Joe Biden predicted, it's been the opposite. So when you shoot your final nuclear weapon and it's a dud, you're, you're shooting blanks after that, right? Right. Well, <laughs> either that or you're shooting no longer metaphorical nukes, which is my my deep concern is that, you know, if if Russia were to have lost this war in Ukraine, which doesn't appear like it's going to happen, but say our sanctions did work and and Putin had to, you know, put it crawl back into his cave with his tail between his legs. Uh, I don't really envision that as as something that could have happened. Like, I, I just really I feel as if, you know, once you he kind of crossed the Rubicon by by going to war against the U.S.'s explicit uh, instructions. And and now in some ways, it's almost fortunate that that he's winning the war, because I think it, it means that hopefully it won't escalate further. But um uh, well, let's let's just get your take on on how that's playing out. I, I know there's lots of differences of opinion as to how that war is actually going. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think what you're alluding to is correct, which is that if Russia finds itself backed into a corner, I think it will use nuclear weapons. And I think the U.S. is skirting dangerously close. The problem is the U.S. believes the, own, the narrative that it's created for itself. You know, there was, you know, the veteran, uh, the veteran intelligence professionals for sanity uh, is an organization, a very good organization of people who spent their careers in the intelligence business. And they sent a memo to the president recently saying, listen, in times of war, and make no mistake, this is a time of war, you can't believe your CIA willy-nilly because they do lie to you. And here is all throughout history. They talk about Vietnam. They talk about, you know, on and on about how the intelligence community lies to administrations. So they're lying about things. And they know they're lying about things. And when you when you lie about things, when you see the world as you wish it were to be rather than how it is, that's when you have danger. And when you bring in the nuclear, the question of nuclear weapons, well, obviously you amplify that danger incredibly, incredibly so. You know, the, one of the things that the Americans don't understand is that we don't we don't face threats on our borders, uh, other than depending on your view on illegals crossing over from Mexico, and that may or may not be an issue depending on your perspective. But in terms of a real existential threat from our borders, that doesn't exist. Uh, that's not true for most of the rest of the world. You know, maybe, okay, whatever, uh, Australia, you know, but, but Russia faces, has faced um, at least eight years, but I would suggest quite a bit longer of the U.S. packing and, and the European Union packing weapons into Ukraine with the explicit purpose of changing the government in Russia. Uh, and again, if you flip that and put the situation the other way with the Chinese doing the same thing in Mexico. Uh, you certainly, I mean, think about how they freak out, as you pointed out earlier on about January 6th, right? Imagine right. if we actually faced a real threat, uh, how we would feel about it. Yeah, well, that's that's the wild uh, part about where we're at right now is, you know, you had less than a thousand people that uh, that stormed the Capitol and none of which were armed as far as I'm aware. Uh, maybe there was some with arms outside, but in terms of going inside, there was none. I mean, there's just, and yet, and yet that's, that's framed as a, an insurrection, you know, that, that was a, a true existential threat to the entire structure of our government. It, it's to our democracy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a level of, I don't know, delusion or propagandizing or gaslighting that I, I can scarcely wrap my head around, uh, you now see, well, actually, let me pull it up for you because this is pretty fascinating. We got a, as always, the, where is it at? Homeland Security. Uh, September 25th is CSAY Day. This is from <laughs> our DHS Gov Homeland Security. It says, take the time today to save the suspicious activity reporting phone numbers for wherever you live, work, or spend time in your phone. By doing so, you'll be prepared to help keep your community safe when you see something suspicious. I haven't read it because I don't want to give them a click. Uh, but what, what do you what do you think about the? I mean, it the Orwellian <laughs> aspects of our current existence. Yeah. Okay. At one, you know, maybe at one point, if you saw some guy with like I heart jihad, you know, carrying dynamite around his waist, you might want to make a call. <laughs> you know. Sure. You know. But nowadays, basically, if you see a dude with the Trump shirt, right? Right. <laughs> Hi, DHS. I'm, I need to say something. I feel yeah. threatened. And yeah, in fact, good. Mayorkas, the, 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 the Homeland Security director, he's a really, really evil guy. Yep. And he just came out and said, basically, yeah, um, we had some problems with foreign terrorism. Now, in fact, I, I clipped this just before we started because I, 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 I thought it would be appropriate for our conversation. Um, he said, yeah, people were radicalized by foreign terrorist ideology. But now there's an ideology of hate, anti-government sentiment, false narratives, propaganda on online platforms you know it's like yes yes check check you know <laughs> check all the boxes. so really literally if you don't like the biden administration you are now the new you are the new al-qaeda you are osama bin laden and that's they're pushing it blatantly they're not hiding it they're not finessing this at all and we heard that from biden's uh satanic red speech you know the the, the hitler speech yeah. uh and you've heard it from uh well senator mark warner from virginia he basically said um, the January 6th insurrectionists are basically the same as the people who flew some jets into the buildings on 9-11. You know, I mean, you, you, you would be put in a straitjacket a few years ago if you said something so blatantly stupid. Right. No, and, and uh, you know, Ron Paul very famously warned about 
the the Patriot Act being utilized and and having the the war on terror turned inward. Uh, it seems quite evident that that has occurred. We're being spied on. We're being held without trial. You have Megan McCain, who gleefully said that she would like to see the January 6th protesters thrown in Gitmo. Uh, I mean, this is a level of depravity and totalitarian uh, desires that I really didn't expect. Is is there anything you could add to you know why the war on terror was so evidently going to be turned inward? Yeah. Well, you have to have an enemy. And for a while, it was all those Muslims. Uh, but now it's, it's Trump people. You have to have an enemy because that gives you the excuse to, to, in, to inject fear into the equation. And fear will allow you to grab power. You know, I mean, Hitler was pretty good at this, right? You establish, you know, Stalin as well, the Kulaks, the Jews, all the sexuals, whatever. Uh, you establish a target of hate. And, well, well I'm not one of those, so I'm going to go along with it. And that's what you're seeing here. It really is. Um, the rise of, of, a, of an authoritarian, totalitarian mentality uh, in the U.S. And it's pretty dangerous. And, you know, you're right. I mean, it was all baked into the cake when we started talking about the Patriot Act. And I remember it was, it was actually, I think, my first couple of weeks working for Dr. Paul on the Hill when this came down the pipe. And it was like, holy crap. I mean, how can <laughs> we just had some buildings blown up and they said they put out a bill called the Patriot Act. And we come from a conservative Bible Belt district. How, how are we going to square this circle here? You know, it was talking about a baptism of fire. You know, yeah. how do we draft the statement, uh, you know, explaining a no vote on it? And it turns out it was, this, you know, there was never a question of voting yes. Um, but it turns out that, you know, everything, he, everything that he said at the time on the floor and everything the statement said, sadly, are all absolutely true. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, sadly true <laughs> and and blatantly true at this point predictably true <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it it certainly was predictable and i think you know many good libertarians saw it early on if not when when you guys did when you guys were actually uh having to vote on on the bill itself um i i'm really nervous though man i i, I really do feel as if like it's it's tough to to get people to understand the gravity of what we're discussing right now because as a figurehead, someone like Joe Biden just doesn't strike fear in someone's heart. And and I think that it's important that people realize that this, this has been in the works and it really has nothing to do with Joe Biden, from my estimation. This is like this is a long term plan that obviously tra traverses multiple uh, presidencies. It is the deep state definitionally, as far as I'm concerned. Do you view it similarly? Absolutely. I mean, there have been so many stark examples. And one of them that comes to mind right now was during the first impeachment of President Trump, uh, when they heard from uh, from witness after witness from the national security community saying, well, um, obviously, this phone call to Ukraine uh, was a quid pro quo. And by the way, him questioning our continuing to send money and weapons to Ukraine well, that that goes against the uh, in the consensus of the of the community of the national security community. You know that goes against the interagency consensus on what the policy to Ukraine should be. So that I think, in a nutshell, is an absolute blatant admission. Hey, we run things. Yeah, you get elected, and you you know you think you run things. We are the deep state, and we run things. And you know the famous quote from Schumer. Uh, you better not uh, go after the uh, CIA and intelligence community. They have eight ways from Sunday to get back at you. Uh, yep. And it's very, very true. I was just reading before we started um, something on Zero Heads that the, um, the, the, the source uh, for the dossier uh, on uh, Trump-Russia was a paid FBI informant. So this is deep state, deep state, deep state. Uh, it's an overused term, but there's really there's – nothing, there's nothing else to call it. I, I think what's really – interesting to me is that they don't really need us to do anything they just concoct it so like you have the obviously the the steel dossier the russian collusion case totally whole cloth fiction as far as i can tell after many years of researching it you have january 6 which is essentially whole cloth fiction i mean it's certainly overblown and, and hyperbolized to the point of absurdity um you have this constant reminder from people like Mayorkas and the DHS more broadly, the FBI, the CIA, uh, former CIA directors, John Brennan and all these other lunatics. They, they constantly are saying the greatest threat to this nation is domestic uh, extremism and domestic terrorism. There's no evidence for that. 
There yeah. is no evidence whatsoever that we have a, a burgeoning white supremacist terrorist movement in this country. And yet it seems as if they're doing a pretty good job of propagandizing at least half this nation into believing that that's the reality that we live in. Is it is can we defeat that? It seems very challenging. It is, you know, and it's again, you have to have the, the end to project the enemy uh, and the enemy now just happens to pe people who voted for Trump or people who don't love Biden. Right. So it's it's a very dangerous thing. But, you know, it's it's basically projectionism as well, because they're basically doing everything that they accuse us extremists of doing. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been the, that's been the um, that's been the fundamental aspect of our foreign policy forever. Uh, you know, we criticize another country for not having a free and fair media. And yet you look at the U.S. mainstream media how it's owned by a couple of corporations that are in bed with the government uh, and, and, you know, in part and parcel of the military industrial complex. So you have uh, the government doing its damnedest to piss half of America off to the point where they just lose it. And then they can point and say, see, we told you, look at these extremists, you know, yeah. and it's, um, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, very dangerous thing. Um, you know, I listened to your your little ad before we started, and I'm thinking that sounds like a pretty good idea. <laughs> you know, let's get out of here. I don't know where to go, <laughs> but you know, I I, have, I did spend a lot of time living overseas, and there certainly are some advantages of bugging out. Uh, yeah, and it's becoming a serious consideration for more and more people. It's really tragic. I I love the people here. I love this country, to be honest. Yeah. Even though I'm not a nationalist, I, I love the the principles by which it was founded upon, and it's it's just heartbreaking. Speaking of uh, you know, heroes that spoke out. Let's let's bring us a little update. This is actually an older clip from Julian Assange, but I think it's really important that we hear it today. It's only about a minute. Every day, ordinary people teach us that democracy is free speech and dissent. For once, we the people <clears throat> stop speaking out and stop dissenting. Once we are distracted or pacified, once we turn away from each other, we are no longer free. For true democracy is the sum, is the sum of our resistance. If you don't speak up, if you give up what is uniquely yours as a human being, if you surrender your consciousness, your independence, your sense of what is right and what is wrong, in other words, perhaps without knowing it, you become passive and controlled, unable to defend yourselves and those you love. People often ask, what can I do? The answer is not so difficult. Learn how the world works. Challenge the statements and intentions of those who seek to control us behind a facade of democracy and monarchy. Unite in common purpose and common principle to design, build, document, finance, and defend. Learn, challenge, act now. So there you have it. The, the hero himself. I mean, I, I, those, those words are, are powerful. I feel like we may be a little too late for them. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it really brings, it gives me chills when I hear it and it's easy. It's easy to, I mean, he's been locked away for so long. It's easy to forget what a massive impact he had. Um, what an amazing character uh, that he displayed, uh, you know, what a facility with, uh, with words and thoughts. And then listening to that, I'm, I'm thinking, well, that explains why they have to lock him away. Um, he's too he's too powerful. And I think, you know, um, for all of the stupid, terrible things that Trump did, not pardoning Assange is probably one of the worst. You know, that is up there with hiring John Bolton. Right. Um, yeah. uh, he could have done it. He campaigned on what a great guy Assange is and how much he loves WikiLeaks. And then when it came down to it, he was a coward. He didn't have the guts uh, to make a bold move. Pretty sad. Uh, tragic, honestly. And and I think uh, it really to me, demonstrated that we have no hope of democratically remedying this. You know, if you if you get an outsider, which Trump allegedly was, and he is either uh, not sincere enough, or he was intimidated enough, or whatever whatever the justification, if you can't get a an outsider to pardon someone who, you know, shed light on the war crimes that we were committing, what hope do we have? I mean, I really, it's tragic. I mean, the personnel is the policy. And when you hire people like um, like John Bolton, when you hire, what's his name? The scumbag who ran Pompeo. Pompeo. 
um, and, and we hire Nikki Haley and all these people. <laughs> are you surprised when you know you have a really crappy policy? Uh, you know, so it's it's a real tragedy. And you know, Trump did some great things. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a Trump voter, but he did some great things. Yeah, I mean, he he hired uh, he 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 hired he hired uh, you know uh, 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 some decent people. Uh, you know, and um, he hired Doug McGregor, but he did it with like two days left, right? right. Okay, okay, Doug, here's what I need you to do: get us out of <laughs> Afghanistan and get us out of Syria. By the way, you got 48 hours. It's like a TV show, right? 48 hours to get us out. You know? Well, if he could, if he could realize the error of his ways in the last 48 hours of his presidency when it comes to foreign policy, he should have been able to figure it out with Julian Assange. It is one of the things I will never be able to forgive. I mean that. Uh, along with not firing Fauci after he realized that he had been hoodwinked into the lockdowns yeah. and everything else. It's just it's just insane to me that that he never figured it out. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the potential for a, a Dave Smith presidential run and and the the difference in the the era that we're in. Um, a lot of people want to see. Obviously, a lot of people want to see Dave run. A lot of people want to see Dave run in the same exact lane as Ron Paul. I'm curious if you think that that would be. Uh, a good idea or a mistake? Because just laying all the cards on the table, my personal vantage point is that as great as Ron was, and he was incredible, um, I think that this this period, I think that Ron would probably have presented a slightly different campaign. And, and I think that Dave's strengths are more of a comedic flair, obviously being a bit younger. And, and I think that it would be a mistake for him to kind of water down his slightly more radical version of the same message that Ron Paul brought. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great point. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Ron Paul and Rand Paul always have the same problem. Everyone's saying, you know, Hey Rand, why aren't you more like your dad? Well, nobody's like anybody, you know, everyone's their own person and that's just how it is. And Dave is Dave and he's a great friend. He's a great guy. Um, and I think, um, he do be, let Dave be Dave, right? Um, right. There's a lot of there's a lot of great things, and I you know I, was, I spoke to um, uh, a Liberty Caucus uh, LP Liberty uh, Mises Caucus event l last October. I'm close to to the guys Mike Heiss and, and the others I consider friends. Um, I think what they've done is pretty it's pretty miraculous. I'm not a party guy. I'm not a voter. I don't vote. Uh, I don't believe in the system. But at the same time, uh, I like when I'm seeing the cheekiness. I mean, you know. The last couple of LP campaigns, sorry, it was, it was about as exciting as, you know, as, as a stale cinnamon roll or something, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, but if you inject that cheekiness and you've got, you've got people like the LP in New Hampshire who are very cheeky, maybe a little too cheeky, right? <laughs> um, but you kind of need that. You're, you are, the LP is, you know, the, basically the party that should be kicking the other two parties in the shins. Uh, and screaming and jumping up and down. And for that, you need to have a hard edge message, not just for the sake of it, but adhere to the principles and don't water them down. Because that's the one thing I think we learned from Ron Paul. You don't need to water down the message, you know, for it to, to be effective. Um, you know, how did you keep winning as a libertarian? I mean, I live in this in, in Dr. Paul's old district. I know what it's like. How did you keep winning? Well, just tell the truth and don't be afraid of the truth. And I think, um, if they pursue that and they kick up the spies, kick up the habanero a little bit, it's going to get a lot of attention. And it's very yeah. exciting. It's exciting. No, it is. And and I couldn't agree more. I, I really do think that, well, do you think, I mean, obviously you spent a lot of, a lot of time with Dr. Paul. Um, would he have brought a, a different level of urgency to his campaigns in 08 and 12, given where we're at today? Because I think that it would be, almost incumbent upon him to do so. I mean, if you're looking around, the world is is a far, far more dangerous and, uh, you know, perilous place, or economically, culturally, militarily. It just seems as if it would require a level of urgency. Or do you think from a, from a politician's standpoint that perhaps that isn't prudent, that you should, you know, still bring that calm demeanor, even as you're d discussing you know, real imminent threats to people? I, I, I don't know. Obviously, I lean towards the pointing out the urgency and the imminent threat and, and doing so in a very, uh, you know, bombastic way, but everyone has their own vantage point. Yeah. I mean, you have to also understand the context, you know, the Giuliani moment right now doesn't seem as radical as it was when he said it, <laughs> True. You know, because people just didn't say that sort of thing. Certainly never 
in a presidential debate. So, you know, we, we tend to forget. I mean, I remember where I was sitting watching the debate when it happened, and I thought what most everyone else thought, wow, this is it. He's over. You know, he's going to be nuked. Uh, you know, wow. so it was as radical as anything that could be said now at the time. Um, but what would he be like if he ran now? The, the interesting, interesting thing about Dr. Paul, and a lot of people know this, he has two seemingly um, contradictory um, personality characteristics. Uh, and the first one is the jock. And that's what he is, I mean, deep down. He is an athlete. He's a competitive athlete. He was a champion uh, at, um, uh, at, at running in college. Uh, so he likes to win and he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, get grouchy and throw up his hands. If he doesn't win, he doesn't take his toys and go home, but he has a competitive spirit and he likes to win. Uh, and that's a good thing, but he also didn't, in my opinion, um, he didn't view the campaigns as I'm going to be president. I need to be president. He always approaches politics as a teacher, as someone who, who, who brings us along and helps us understand the world and helps us understand the, the, the philosophy of freedom. So I think, yes, on one hand, he did want to win because he likes to win. But on the other hand, it was it so important that he would do anything to win. No, it wasn't. Uh, in the process, he wanted to teach. And I think he was extremely, extraordinarily successful in reaching millions of people that he would not have been able to reach if we stayed at 203 Cannon House office building, you know, <laughs> sending out to your colleague letters. So, right. so, I mean, that's just my take on it. No, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about Assange. I, I've always marveled at the fact that, you know, Ron was such a thorn in the establishment side. And, and given the treatment that Assange received, it's kind of stunning that, that they didn't go after Dr. Paul, in, in a similar fashion. Um, do you know why? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, they tried to look at people like Jamie Kerchick uh, and who are the other scumbags with the newsletter issue. Every time his oh, head true. popped up above the ground, well, remember that Ron Paul and those racist <laughs> newsletters, you know? <laughs> 30 years ago, uh, he said something, you know, that to today we considered, you know, untoward, what have you. Uh, so they did try to do it, but the thing is it never stuck. And and a lot of that, and he talks about this too, it goes back to the early campaigns uh, when he was for legalization of narcotics and his, his Democrat opponent, or exactly, yeah, his opponent uh, said, he wants to give heroin to, to kids. He wants to legalize heroin. And um, people that knew him understood that this is a kindly country doctor. Uh, just because he doesn't believe you should be put into a cage for what you decide to put into your body, ingest into your body, as long as you don't hurt anyone, doesn't mean he's going to be on the corner giving out free heroin to kids. So people right. just understood that this isn't who he is. And I think um, that's that's his one of his secret weapons. The other secret weapon is Carol Paul, his wife. Uh, and that's his real political compass. Uh, but the other one is that he kind of flies in under the radar in some ways. He doesn't have, he doesn't exhibit these hard edges that are easy to break off and, and beat him over the head with, you know. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think that would be my downfall, is I very much have hard edges. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm Hungarian, right? We, you know, like every every few decades, we, you know, we go crazy and have a revolution, and you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the the reason I ask is because you know his his influence on the the next generation, uh, myself and Dave and everybody else that's coming up uh, underneath you guys is like, we're all radical as hell and we're all inspired by his his words or your words or the, the the message more broadly and it's just like it's just crazy to me that they didn't do more to try and undermine it um yeah. because it, it is it is ultimately their poison you know it's like this is anti-state rhetoric like that's that's what we all espouse and, and now we all reach you know pretty sizable audiences and it's growing exponentially in my case and ex exponentially in in many people's cases and it's like this this is a this is a problem for them. I mean, it, I don't think it's a mistake that John Brennan, you know, included libertarian, even libertarians, when when he's talking about potential domestic extremists and blah 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 blah. Um, anyways, any any comments on that? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean they were worried about him winning an election and grabbing power, uh, but what they didn't see coming is his inspiring millions of people right. to entertain a very very different philosophy of man's relationship to other men, man's relationship to government, 
our relationship with money, the relationship with hard work and success. They didn't expect him to plant a seed that would, you know, from which millions of flowers would bloom. Right. Uh, and that just shows the real, as he always, would always say, the real strength of ideas. Yeah, no, I mean, and they are powerful. And it, what's what's fascinating to me is that, you know, we are we are preaching from my vantage point, very just benign, beneficial to society ideas like free trade amongst people. Oh, crazy. The, let's not bomb innocent people all over the planet. Oh, we're such radicals. Uh, let's not tax people to death. Oh, you, you want us all to starve. I mean, these are these are very in my like from my vantage point, very mundane, kind of like obvious truths and and moral truths. And yet we are now, you know, potential domestic extremists. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wild. I think it's because they're getting worried. They're getting nervous because these, you know, these thoughts, these ideas, this philosophy has legs. Uh, you know, I mean, before 08, you never heard the or end the Fed. You know, you wouldn't hear it anywhere. Right. And, you know, here I was with Dr. Paul when he spoke at the, um, what's it called, Young Americans for Liberty in Florida a few weeks ago. And here, like you say, it's, it's a generation that's, um, well, I think some of these kids are even younger than you. Uh, oh, yeah. And here they are screaming, end the Fed. They know what it means. They know the danger of the Federal Reserve. You know, and, and that you want to talk about striking the root. The Fed is the root. You're against war? Well, you got problems with the Fed. You're against privacy? Well, you got problems with the Fed. You're yep. against being poor, right? You got problems with the Fed. So don't like inflation? Right? Fed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Basically uh, everything, you know. I, I know. Boom, boom, bust cycle. Uh, you would, you yeah. would absolutely appreciate my, my, the biggest opportunity I ever had to reach an audience, I was invited on uh, Timcast IRL, which is Tim Pool, and over a million people, probably two million, once you include audio downloads and stuff like that, uh, got to hear me speak for the first time in my life. And I, I spent every single minute of that, every topic they presented it to me, I pivoted to how the Federal Reserve was was the root cause of it because they were trying to to hammer on BlackRock, which obviously I'm no fan of BlackRock's horrific and but the, the reason that they're so bad is because of their relationship to central banks and to, obviously to the government it's like they would never be this 10 trillion dollar behemoth if not for the federal reserve we wouldn't have income inequality to these extremes if not for the federal reserve like you just go down the list it's like our mental health crisis the fact that we don't have two parents or we don't have someone staying home with the kids we now have uh you know depression and anxiety and drug use and all these other things all these other cultural declines that are a product of inflation that comes from the fed I like it's my favorite thing to rail about. And, and I swear to you, like it is 100 percent inspired from uh, and the Fed, which I read in like, I don't know, 2001 or something. Uh, it's crazy how how impactful those those uh, those writings can be. And, you know, it does have an appeal to progressives as well. And I think yes. it, sounds, it sounds like you did a good job of helping educate Tim Pool because I did. I think he did come from the left and he certainly sounds a lot more libertarian these days. Yes, he does. Uh, so it had an impact, but you know the whole like when we started the Ron Paul Institute, the inspiration for me was a single meeting that Dr. Paul had after the 08 campaign with the so-called minor candidates, uh, and it was Cynthia McKinney. It was um, who's the fellow from the Constitution Party? Um, you know who I'm talking about the, the 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 preacher. Anyway, there there are three or four of them. They they got together from the right, from the progressive left, uh, libertarian. And they all agreed on some basic principles, uh, and you know, and certainly the Fed was one of them. The mm -hmm. idea of printing money and deficit spending. Uh, so, you know, these these are principles that you know these are hooks that we can use, I think, to help um, bring people into, for lack of better term, libertarian movement. You know, and I think sure. if you look at if you look at people like Tulsi Gabbard, yeah, she's not where we are yet, but she sounds a heck of a lot closer than she did. Three or four years ago, absolutely, so. yeah. And I've had I've had four uh, different leftists, uh, all the way up to communists, that have been on my show for over the past thirty days. And uh, I was also on with Dave Smith and Jimmy Dore uh, a week ago. And and first thing I, you know, I'm trying to kind of bide my time and sit in the backdrop and let Dave and and Jimmy have the shine because they're the big stars of the of the movements. But um, when I had an opportunity to speak, the first thing I asked Jimmy was, you know what do you think about ending central banking? Cause it's quite, quite evident that all of the issues that you're pointing out are, this is, this is the Genesis block. Like this is what we must break if we want to actually remedy these things. And, 
And he he was very honest. He said, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't I do not know enough about the Federal Reserve or central banking. And, and I think that what's remarkable is, you know, for for us, it's such old hat. You know, as I said, I, I was reading in the Fed 22 years ago or whatever it is now. <laughs> and, and this is just such an obvious given to us. But yet it's still very much a foreign message to the vast majority of people. And I think that that if Dave were to run uh, kind of a, a revamped Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 could really uh, pay dividends in terms of like getting this message imbued in the next generation in a, in a very uh, serious way. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think there's certainly room for sequels to end the Fed. There room, maybe a, what's it called? A graphic novel, a comic book, you know, yeah, or something. Right. They're probably get Eric July needs to work on it, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there is, there are things like this, but everything can be brought back to that. And, you know, like someone like Jimmy Dore, I mean, if he looks into it, he's going to see things our way. Uh, you know, I, I think I mean, so too. There's just no question about it. If you don't like, if you don't like scumbags getting rich from doing bad things, chances are, if you look around, you sniff around a little bit, you're going to find them connected to the Fed, connected <laughs> to government. You know, look at, um, I mean, if uh, <laughs> look at the look at the last, you know, look at the two years of COVID. Look at the pharmaceutical companies just raking in billions of dollars. Well, if don't those billions weren't floating around uh, because the Fed Fed printing them around, they wouldn't be there to grab. You know, the right. the, the um, the, the arm of the state, the loaded gun of the state, combined with the money printing machine, it's tyranny. Yeah, well, and and BlackRock was put in charge of the uh, the bailout funds for the COVID uh, relief. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's all a product of them being uh, deeply in bed, both with the government, but also with the Federal Reserve or the central banks globally. Moreover, I mean, it's it, it's so obvious that we are dealing with what amounts to a global fascism, which I know is kind of counter to the definition because fascism is usually nationalistic. But um, what do you think about, you know, the, the, what I describe as the blue pilled libertarians and their failure to identify uh, that many of these big businesses that we're talking about are no longer private or, or private in name only. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we've struggled with this on the Liberty Report, and it's a little bit easier now because I think a lot of people are talking about it in a more intelligent way. And also, we've come to understand it's become more blatant. But how do you deal with social media companies that are censoring? Uh, and despite what the dopey conservatives say, they're not censoring conservative voices. They're censoring people who color outside the lines, whether you're on the left or the right or what have you. True. They want to keep the narrative like this. You know, better not go outside the line. So, uh, so, you know, the argument, you build your own Twitter, um, it's a private company, they can do what they want. And it's, it has been difficult and it has been a struggle. But now what we're seeing come out is very, very blatant examples. You know, the Alex Berenson thing where he did, I guess, discovery and he found the, um, the collusion. There's no other word between Twitter and the U.S. government with the U.S. government. You know, it was a memo, that uh, an internal memo uh, in, in among Twitter employees saying, well, yeah, we had a good talk with so-and-so, whatever, from the government. Um, they were wondering why we haven't banned Alex, Alex Berenson yet, you know. And, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's obvious. And then you have the whole uh, Zuckerberg um, revelation when he was on the Rogan show. Yeah, some, some FBI guys came around and they said, yeah, there's going to be a bombshell dropped here pretty soon. But wink, wink, it's... It's Russian disinformation, uh, you know, and here it was the laptop from hell from Hunter Biden. So you're seeing them, you know, really out in the open doing the bidding of the government. Uh, and so I think it's easier to make the case that these are not uh, private companies acting as private companies. Right. Uh, they're doing the bidding of, uh, you know, controlling the narrative and uh, and keeping the government uh, where it is. But I think the good news, Clint, is that the stranglehold is loosening. You know, and for us, we spent two years on the Liberty Report biting our tongues. Well, I did. Dr. Paul doesn't. Uh, biting my tongue, thinking that anything that we say is going to get us kicked off of YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then the guys at Rumble sent us an email and called us and said, hey, why don't you bring the show over here? You're not going to have the same kind of problems. You're not going to get hassled. We're not going to we're not going to you know step on your neck. Uh, and we said, you know, we thought about it for a while, for probably for quite a while. And we did. And, you know. So far, so good. Um, oh, I love it. I, I, I didn't know that. So did, you, did they give you an exclusive deal? Um, we, have an, we have an arrangement where we give them, a, I think, a four-hour exclusive window for the show. Oh, cool. Um, and um, it's basically so with YouTube, they did their best to suppress our views. And I'm not just being paranoid. I know it's a fact. No matter how hard we worked, 
Um, you know, it's just like putting the foot down on the, you know, on the, on the thing. Um, but with Rumble, uh, you know, within the first couple of weeks, they're calling us and say, hey, we got some ideas of how you can expand the show. Here's how you might be able to raise a little bit more revenue. Because as you know, I mean, it's always a question of we got to pay for things. Sure. Um, so, so we really feel like they're partners. And that's different. And I think a lot of people, who did I just see? Someone went exclusively to Rumble just, the, just today, I think it was, like a big name. And so yeah, I've seen I've seen a, a litany of big names go over there in the past week. So it's it's yeah. happening. The the exodus yeah. is happening and not a moment too soon. I, I think it's it's inevitable that anybody with you know dissident viewpoints is going to end up either on Rumble. I have libertylockdown.locals.com, so I'm over on locals. Um, okay, good. But but yeah, I mean it's it's vitally necessary and, and it's it's just the stickiness and the the virality aspects of the big platforms, the YouTubes, the Twitters, the the censorship hellscapes is still so good that it's like it makes it it makes it tough for you to to let that go i mean i have spent years now building up my twitter to to have over fifty thousand followers it's like i can't walk away from that it's a it's a tremendous marketing tool um obviously you were banned from from twitter uh, a year ago it, the the news today is that twitter's board voted to accept uh elon musk's original offer which is a, an absurdity because at this point the market's in the fucking shitter so it's like <laughs> like why would he want to buy this for 50 yeah. billion dollars at this point yeah. but jk um, lol <laughs> yeah, exactly i'm out um do you do you think that if it, i i don't think that a court is going to to hold him to that contract because he's already demonstrated that they defrauded him in my estimation as to the uh actual users uh, you know the actual real users on 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 twitter um but if they were to do you think that he would bring you back do you think elon's on our team because i can't tell I can't tell. I don't have a sense of Elon. What I love about Elon is that he it's it's the same thing I loved about Trump. He has all the right enemies, you know. Yes, so indeed. As, as, as flawed <laughs> as, as they may be, look at the people who hate their guts and you think there's gotta be something good about this guy. Look how they freaked out when he said, Why don't we have a why don't we have a, a free speech platform? Why don't we allow free speech? What? You can't do that. You know, but what worries me about and I don't want to single out Rumble and I hope it doesn't happen. But um, maybe I'm just paranoid again. Maybe I'm conspiratorial. Maybe I'm insane. But I think <laughs> what, you, what you do have with these kinds of things is you'll have maybe a provocateur, probably an FBI guy or something, who's going to go on there and make some, like, you know, really radical, you know, whatever, like, oh, Holocaust was cool or whatever, you right, know. Right, right, and right. then it's got to be, well, we just have to, you know, we have to introduce a little bit of uh, censorship. Um, and that's, okay, that's understandable, you know, porn. Um, you know, extreme violent racism or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the problem is when it's not spelled out clearly, um, yeah. you know, I mean, I was kicked off of, as you say, Twitter in, in 2019 um, because I made a joke about Sean Hannity um, implying that he wasn't as intelligent as some people think he is. <laughs> a colloquial word to, uh, to describe a lack of intelligence <laughs> on him. And, you know, yeah, I, I appealed. I said, you know, listen, I wasn't I wasn't referring to a mental incapacitation. I wasn't making fun of the handicapped. You know, I was simply suggesting he wasn't that, that he smart. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but to no avail. And, um, da Daniel McAdams did nothing wrong. Bring him back. <laughs> that's right. Bring me back. Well, I, you know, here's another thing. I just found out a couple of weeks ago that I'm frozen out of Facebook. Oh, and, wow. uh, that's a weird, I have not said anything public about this yet. I'm, I'm, I'm planning on how I'm going to do it. I guess I'm letting the cat out of the bag now. Right. Um, but it's the, it's the craziest thing because first of all, I'm, I'm the administrator and the business manager of Ron Paul's page, which is a pretty big deal. You're talking, you know, a million followers, however many he has. Sure. I'm, I am incapable of acting as the administrator and business manager right now. And I've been given no reason whatsoever Thankfully, Chris Rossini is listed as an editor, so Dr. Paul can still have things posted. Um, but, you know, uh, Chris opened a ticket because, you know, we are a business account. So he was able to open a ticket and have a real person look at it. Uh, and basically that person said, well, yeah, he's not banned. Um, uh, there doesn't seem to be any reason uh, why he can't get back on. Uh, here, have him do one, two, and three uh, and see if he gets back on. I did one, two, and three, and I didn't go back on. And they said, well... Because uh, of privacy, um, we can't go any further with you, Chris, and we can't we can't uh, help him any further. So basically, like he shouldn't have been locked out. We don't know really why he's locked out, but we can't help him. So, 
And ironically, and I, I don't know if this had anything, it, the weirdest thing is, okay, so I logged in one morning and a picture of, Al of uh, ISIS comes up. You have posted something that goes against community standards. Um, you will be prevented from posting for 24 hours. I think uh, two things. A, if that's ISIS, we haven't posted an article about ISIS in years. And B, if you run a news article that mentions ISIS and you feature a picture of ISIS and that gets you banned, then, well, every news outlet in the world should be banned, right? Right, of course. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back maybe a couple of years ago, we ran something about ISIS and here's a picture of ISIS. What are you supposed to put? You know, a picture of George Carlin or something when we're doing an article about ISIS. That's bizarre. Um, but it's it's bizarre. And the in this, okay, you can't post for 20, okay, you know, whatever. Um, but then 24 hour comes and goes and you just can't, you can never get back on. You can never get back on, no explanation. Uh, so uh, maybe they're just incompetent, but this is a multi-billion dollar company and they can't have like one guy sitting there that flips the switch. Oh, we screwed up on that one. Flip it back. No, I don't, yeah. I don't buy that. I don't buy it no. at all. Me, me either. And uh, I definitely yeah. go down the conspiracy yeah. route similar to, sorry, it's getting a little echo there. If I wait a second, it usually goes away. All right, we're good. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that it's it's quite evident that they are they are colluding, if you will, the actual collusion uh, <clears throat> to to suppress dissident voices. Voices, it's it's quite clear. Um, I want to I want to talk to you um, briefly about Biden's climate change agenda. So give me twenty seconds. I just want to thank our other sponsor, which is SideShaper.com. If you got some COVID lbs you need to get rid of, go to SideShaper. Dot com. Watch the video. It is a swiveling ab machine. Thing kicks ass. I use it all, uh, pretty much every day now. Uh, you can't tell because I'm still out of shape, but I'm working on it. All right. I'm working on it. Go to sideshaper.com. Use the code Liberty. It's only $35 off because it, I said 50 yesterday. It's only $35 off because it's on sale right now. So it's actually even cheaper than you would have got it before. Go to sideshaper.com and use promo code Liberty. And we are back with Daniel McAdams. I wanted to run one clip from Joe Biden and then we'll get you out of here. It is, <clears throat> sorry, it was from actually this morning, and it is pretty wild. I want to take the most aggressive action ever, ever, ever to confront the climate crisis and increase our energy security ever in the whole world. And that's not hyperbole. That's a fact. All right. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're facing a global Great Depression. We have serious inflation. We have uh, potential for two uh, you know, starting places for World War III. And this dude is locked in on the biggest climate change bills ever, ever, ever in world history. Uh, what, what, what is this about from your, from your side of the fence? <laughs> I mean, I, I love Biden in a way because he's the, he's the most entertaining president I think we've had. I mean, Trump was pretty good. <laughs> he was pretty funny. He was better as a candidate. Yeah. Um, Reagan entertaining, was, entertaining in a totally different way, but yeah, I completely exactly. agree. I mean, Reagan was was great in that way too, um, from a very different way because he was such a great actor and he was also such a likable person. But Biden is just hilarious. I mean, even you know, my kids will hear me playing something; they'll come in to listen to it because you're going to get a kick out of him no matter what he says. <laughs> no. but, even, but even when he's even when he's calling me a terrorist, I still <laughs> I still get a kick out of it. Exactly. But you know, you probably saw that great clip, and we played it on the show today of. Um, uh, what's his name? Pierce Corbin, uh, the brother of the former labor leader in the U.S. Yeah. He's an astrophysicist, and he was on RT. And the RT guy, who's a decent guy, I've been on his show before. He says, "Well, what do you make of all this? Uh, you know, the the climate is changing." And 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 here's Corbin, the astrophysicist. No, it's not. We have nothing to do with it. These are patterns that we've seen throughout world history, and you can't have any effect on it. Um, you know, and it was just a great clip. The um, the RT guy was incredulous. He couldn't believe that anyone would say that. But, you know, look, I mean, the Europeans have been going down this road and now they're going to be freezing their asses off all winter. Is this really what they want? I mean, people talk a lot about, you know, the, um, the World Economic Forum and they want to see bugs. They want to get rid of us. Uh, they want to get rid of most of the population. And it's easy to become a little bit hyperbolic about these people. But we have to realize they are evil. And, uh, and I wouldn't put anything past them. Uh, you know, yeah. they want us useless eaters off the planet. I really believe that. And they're trying to do as much. They're not going to give up their private jets. You know, they're going to have us, uh, you know, you know, hoofing it to the store or something. Well, get Dan, some more I, bugs. I, I don't know if we can be hyperbolic. If if they view us as useless eaters and they want us off the planet, I think hyperbole is an <laughs> impossibility. I mean, the, 
like basically they 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 hold Malthusian views. They they think that the world's overpopulated, and and what do you know? The only people that should survive uh, the coming uh, apocalypse is them, and yeah. and all of us need to go. I mean, I I really I really do. Uh, I used to think you know the Alex Jones of the world were were overstating it, and certainly he has overstated other things. But when it comes to the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, the uh, the 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 people that believe that the planet's overpopulated and that that carbon is ultimately this existential threat. I don't think that it's overstated to say that these people are not just not just evil, but like out of their minds. I, I really, I really think. And and it, what's what's wild about it is that even though it's such a, a bizarre, outrageous, over the top claim to say that you know the planet's going to increase in temperature because of man made uh, climate change, and and ultimately we're all going to suffer. Half the population is going to die. Blah blah blah. So we're going to make it so that you know. Europe and America and any other, you know, country stupid enough to go along with these these carbon reduction plans suffers now. Well, simultaneously, China is increasing, uh, you know, carbon output. India is like all these, and they have billions of people. I mean, it's there. We are not doing anything to actually address the problem. The only way is through. We have to innovate our way out of this. If you believe that carbon is this existential threat, the only answer is innovation. There is no answer of, you know, killing off half the planet. It's just, it's crazy to me. Sorry for the rant. No, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the bogeyman. It, it mobilizes people and it makes tons and tons of money. Uh, that's why, you know, they ask Corbin at the end, well, why is it that you're the only one saying this and all of these other climate specialists are saying the opposite? He said, it's a gravy train, man. They're getting paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's what it is. Yeah, why well, are you shoving shots down people that, you know, that are poisoned? I, I, I was just going to, I, I was just going to say that it's the exact same thing with the doctors uh, over the past two years. No one, no one can wrap their head around the fact that, you know, people might do stuff that's contrary to their conscience because it's beneficial to their pocketbook. And, and I think that's what we've witnessed. And I think another good example of kind of the fascistic model that we now live in is, you know, it's not just uh, ESG. It's not just the, the central banks that are, are, you know, allowing certain multinational corporations to, to thrive while small business dies. It's also um, via the CDC. We have basically a technocratic fascistic model to everything in our lives now because you had private businesses of over 100 employee, uh, employees that were required to put in these mandates. And I will get kicked off of YouTube for this one. So please be cautious. But um, is this is this all basically symptoms of the same disease? Yeah, I think you're right. And you're right. You're right to be careful, too. But, you know, you um, it's, it's interesting. You have the same mentality as in the military industrial complex. You you yes. um, socialize the costs and you private privatize the profits. Yep. And that's what we same saw, thing. you know, with uh, with the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, not just with COVID, but certainly with COVID, um, all of the costs are socialized, um, you know, directly and indirectly. And I won't go into any more detail. I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. um, but the profits, and they are massive. They're private, and we know that our lowly public servants, CDC employees, are getting you know huge bonuses for things uh, that are being paid out of this. So uh, it's um, it is a dangerous model. I wish there was something that we could. You know, I wish there was a magic bullet that we had, uh, metaphorically, of course, uh, sure. that would help us out of this. Um, but, you know, as Dr. Paul, I think, would say if he were with us uh, in this room right now, is it just means we have to try harder. We have to yeah. become better communicators. And he talks about it, and he's so right. You know, he says, I look at myself, and I see my inadequacies as a communicator, and I'm frustrated, and I want to do better. And I certainly feel that way myself. So I think if we can be more self-reflective and try to figure out how can we present the message of freedom better, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, uh, the armies in the world can't stop an idea whose time has come. Uh, and I think this really is the libertarian moment now. It is. It is. It is or we're, it's all over anyway. So it better be. <laughs> yeah. We're going to call up your friends over there with the get out of the country thing. You know, that's yes, exactly. I'm ready. I'll be, I'll be an expat. Expatmoneysummit.com. Go check them out. Yeah. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for joining me, uh, Daniel. This was uh, an absolute thrill. I, I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. So I really appreciate your time. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. If you, if you have any social media that's still allowed. Yeah. Well, thanks and congratulations on your great success with this podcast, with this show. Oh, thank you. Um, we're at ronpaulinstitute.org is our website. Every day at noon Eastern time, we live stream the Ron Paul Liberty Report. 
on Rumble. It's available a little bit after that, at least for now, on YouTube and certainly over at Odyssey and a few other places, SoundCloud, etc. So uh, we have a big conference coming up in Lake Jackson in November, November 5th. Dr. Paul will be there. We just finished our DC conference last weekend, and it was a blast. We have a great time, great speakers. And you know, Clint, sometimes it's just being around other liberty-minded people. It's just such a rush. I mean, it's so great. You meet people at these events. You Sometimes you get into business deals. People may have gotten married. I don't know. But, um, but you know, it's just a great time. So um, uh, we'd love to see all of your listeners there in Lake Jackson, and we'll have a full slate of conferences next year as well. I love it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think probably the thing I, I've enjoyed most about my my show and my profile kind of increasing is that I've now spent, I've done probably 10 different speaking engagements over the past year. And um, it's, you know, as, as much as I enjoy giving the talks, it's it's meeting the people and, and being able to have conversations with like-minded people that I don't have to give all of the the normal preface to a normie that I would, you know, I just get yeah, to hop yeah, right into it. It's exactly. like, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, so for sure. anyways, I hope, I hope people will show up to that. That sounds great. Uh, anyways, thank you again for joining us. I will, uh, I will catch you next time and we are out. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?